This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is USDA Undersecretary of Agriculture for Trade and Foreign Affairs, Ted McKinney. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Global sugar subsidies are increasing at a threat to 142,000 sugar industry jobs in the U.S. Learn more about the American Sugar Alliance Zero for Zero Sugar Policy at sugaralliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with USDA Undersecretary Ted McKinney next. Sugar subsidies in 120 countries are on the rise and threatening 142,000 U.S. jobs. That's why the American Sugar Alliance is pushing for a global subsidy ceasefire. Their goal is a subsidy-free world market that fosters efficiency. And they know that unilateral disarmament of America's no-cost policy without concessions from abroad will only outsource U.S. jobs and reward foreign subsidizers. The plan is called the Zero for Zero Sugar Policy. And you can learn more at SugarAlliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The Trump administration's attitude and actions toward global trade partners have captivated the attention of U.S. agriculture. Retaliation to trade tariffs has limited or closed markets for U.S. commodities, resulting in lower prices and reduced farm income. Trade with China is at the top of the list. USDA Undersecretary of Agriculture for Trade and Foreign Affairs Ted McKinney says the president isn't wrong to pursue better trade deals and farmers weren't wrong to pursue global market opportunities even if most of the growth came from a single country. I don't think anybody intentionally went into a situation where all the eggs or many of the eggs were in one basket. So let's just admit that front up. I mean, I think of our sorghum producers. My gosh, they saw a market opportunity and they took it. And I was part of the soybeans development that's been 30 years in developing. So nobody intended to put all or many of their eggs in one basket. And I'm still not here to chastise that. I think that was the right thing, and I think we can still rectify that. But the truth is, I think we've found that anytime you can diversify your markets and not be so dependent on one, it's a good thing. And that's why we're so driven to get out and work on new markets so we can diversify the portfolio, not just for one commodity or two commodities, but for all commodities. AgriPulse did a survey recently of farmers, and despite the economic challenges that have come upon producers, they still support this president and his efforts to bring China's trade behavior in line. They do. I mean, there's not very many farmers that I've talked to, farmers and ranchers, that don't have a story, uh, a familiar story about where you know China might have been uh, improper in their action, if I can say that. But that said, we don't, we don't seek to alienate them. I want you to know that we have a very good relationship with our counterparts at the Ministry of Ag and Rural Development. We do. I turned around in one hour the invitation for Vice Minister Han Jun to come to the U.S., and I think the reverse would be true. We're ready to get back to it. But at the same time, the president, I believe, and I think most farmers and ranchers believe, is absolutely right that it's time to straighten out the relationship. You can't, you, you can't see cheating, stealing, forcing technology transfer and make for a good long-term relationship. And so that's what the president is doing. Now, we all hope it's not forever. <laughs> Let's be clear. We can't do this forever. 
but I think now uh, there's lessons being learned, and I'm I I am more optimistic than not, Jeff, that we can get there with China. They need us; we need them. It has been said to me recently that there really is a a technology race that's going on in the globe, and clearly between the U.S. and China, it's a race to who would be superior. 10 or 15 years from now. My view is there's room for both. The catch is let them develop their technology, their intellectual prowess, uh, without cheating and stealing. And then I think we have a fair uh, global economy. I, I don't know of anybody who's intentionally trying to hold them back. Certainly the U.S. is not trying to do that. I'll also say that when it comes to aid and infrastructure and support, I know where our heart and our head is. We will help people, and we're a very giving nation, and we do that just simply to lift them up and then, of course, have free, fair, and reciprocal trade. It's a little bit like the Marshall Fund of the 1950s revisited. We don't have much of an IOU. Chinese have an IOU, and I think the world knows that. So I'm not worried about the U.S.'s place in stature, in uh, leadership here. And I think many people, if they would admit to it, are glad that the U.S. is doing what they're doing. And we're just hopeful that our friends, and I do mean friends, I think, I hope our friends in China realize that to be a player on the globe, you got to play by the rules. And if they can come to that recognition, we're going to get along just fine. Coming full circle from the beginning here of the discussion, I've talked to some agriculture leaders later who say, when this is over, whenever it is over, we'll be in a better place than we were before. I think that's right. Now, if you're getting at the when, I should be going to Vegas if I were uh, that good. I believe that there is a recognition on both sides that this needs to start coming to an end. And I don't know, if it's, it's not days and it's not weeks, but as I said to somebody before, I hope it's not year or years. And uh, I think there's a recognition by both parties that we need each other. But similarly, I think it is right, and we're getting kudos and accolades from others around the world for saying, you know, you're the only country that could do this. Now, I wish they'd reward that behavior, reward our initiative <laughs> in some way. But they're stealing our markets, so we got to we got to conclude this at some point. On the area of trade, you have the U.S. Trade Representative, Mr. Froman. You have Greg Dowd that works from that office. You have your work that's going on. You have members of the Trump administration that are working, and you have the president. How is this team coordinated? Yeah, well, that's not easy. The interagency, as we call it, the interagency process can be complex. But let me boil this down and make it easy for the Aggies out there. It's really USDR with my friend Greg Dowd and his team, and we at USDA. We're the ones that most folks, I hope all folks, but most folks look to when it comes to ag issues. Now, commerce has a role. Treasury has a role. A lot of people have a role. But I think if they recognize the need to really get at the details and the nuances of agriculture, they're going to come to our two. So then thinking collaboration as well with agriculture groups, you have the U.S. Soy Export Council, the U.S. Meat Export Federation, the U.S. Grains Council. On this team, you also have groups of farmers and even their own money working on areas to open and preserve opportunities. 
Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. So beyond just Greg and me or USTR and USDA working together, you've got the commodity groups, and I cannot say enough. I mean, I've been on some of those trips. I said, so, I said earlier here about soybeans. It is a partnership that is extraordinary, and I think the best example is the market access program or the foreign market development, MAP and FMD, which are funds allocated by Congress. And I have yet to hear a member of Congress that doesn't lift that up as a great example of how government and private industry can and should come together. It is a dream team. Sometimes the taxpayer dollars are returned 5, 15, 25 to 1. Not bad. So we're going to keep doing that. Now it's dependent on the farm bill. We're waiting on that to come around. But, uh, but I'm optimistic. And so if we do those right, and I would throw on top of that the mitigation program, the $12 billion, mm-hmm. we just, November 2, got uh, all of the applications in for the extra tranche, the $200 million for that. And we're, we're excited. We love what we see in terms of the creativity the desire to get into new markets or markets that we haven't been into for quite, you know, in, in, into such depth. And so I think we could be at an interesting turning point. And so call me an optimist, but I think we can get there. Can you describe some of the applications that you've seen and that those that appear uh, opportunistic yeah. for you? Yeah. Well, I won't get into specific ones, but we, we asked for three things from them. We said, be creative. This is your chance to really be creative. Secondly, we said we respect that there may need, need to be uh, some request on your part to to dedicate funds to countries where there might have been some rift and we've got to lift them back up. And, and I think Canada and Mexico might be good examples. But we did say if you don't have some good portion of that to markets where we just haven't invested enough dollars, you might have been there, but not enough, then you're probably not going to get very much. And so they've honored that. And so this is our chance to diversify our marketplace, much like a market portfolio, a 401k, whatever it might be. So, yeah, we're seeing creativity. We're seeing some collaboration amongst groups. I mean, most folks know that soy meal usually goes to pork, poultry, you know, the critters. And so there's some of the collaboration that we've seen. And so we're excited. Now, the request for funds is like 3x what we have available. So there will be a paring down, but I think everybody knew that was coming. When is the period of time that those would be granted and the checks would be written and actually the wheels turn? January. I'd like to say early January, but there's so many and it's so complex, it might take a little bit into January. But January, we will make the grants make the announcements, and get on with business. President Trump has uh, certainly been uh, first to to show support for the legal pad agreement, the handshake agreement, if you will, of the USMCA. But Mr. Portman, former uh, trade representative, now senator, and some others have said that as long as these tariffs are in place, it'll be hard to pass the USMCA through Congress. So what would be the process, whether you're involved or it's another member of this team, what's the process for removing those tariffs on metals to actually allow free trade to resume? Yeah. Well, there's several scenarios. I mean, one is just simply they go away. I don't sense that's where the president is. He is clearly trying to, in some way, rebuild the U.S., the U.S. steel and aluminum market. And that's not an overnight kind of thing. 
what I sense, what I hear, is a desire to assign some quotas to different countries. And I can understand why that wouldn't be a wildly popular thing, you know. You, you want to let market forces work. Everybody, Every country thinks that they are more efficient, better quality, lower cost than the next one. But it may come to that. I don't have the answer, but I do know the White House is very driven to find a solution, particularly with Mexico and Canada. And as other countries come along, maybe that same principle, that same model can be applied to them. Is there a concern that these tariffs stay in place long enough that the U.S. begins to erode that market share that has been in place for so long, a.k.a. Latin America, Mexico, our trade with with consistent partners? I think that risk is very real, and that's why I think that's why I'm enthused that the White House is driving so hard to try to rectify that. Now, I think the rectifying or the remediation is as countries come in line and demonstrate free, fair, and reciprocal trade. I think Mexico and Canada with USMCA or NAFTA point two is there, but I'm not sure others are. But I think we're going to get there. I think we're going to get there. I don't think there's a desire just to permanently employ the tariff tactic. At least I hope not. The White House has suggested bilateral trade with Japan. That's music to a number in agriculture's ears. Also the EU, the Philippines, and the UK. What's the prize with the Japanese? What will they want from us? What do we want from them? Well, I don't want to be overly simplistic. I think the Japanese would love for us just to say, TPP is it. Thank you very much. Let's make a deal. And it's not quite that simple. In ag, it may be. In other aspects, autos, for example, uh, it may not be. So we'll, we'll, we're going to engage, and you should know that the relationship between the U.S. and Japan is stellar. I was in the ambassador's residence in Tokyo when they announced and introduced the new ambassador to the U.S. It was warm, almost effusive. There is a very deep and trusting relationship between our two. I understand why... Our friends in Japan are a little upset, but, you know, elections occur. Things change. So we're thrilled, thrilled that they've agreed to come to the table and negotiate, and we'll just have to see how that goes. But the Japanese market is a very important one. We to them and they to us. You heard me before talk about trade as a two-way street, and it better well be a two-way street. And it is with Japan. I recall the challenge of trade between the European Union and the U.S. all the way back to the GATT trade accord. But yet now we're talking about a bilateral relationship. Is it fair to be optimistic about that or just another effort and futility of talking about things that we're not going to do and they're not going to do? I'm always an optimist, Jeff. This one is difficult. And I'll start by saying the relationship between the EU and the U.S. is still very strong. I mean, we've been through world wars together. I mean, NATO, so many things that draw us together. But without going into detail, I've had two meetings the last two days with some significant uh, emissaries from the European Union. And we've been very honest and direct that we love them. We do. We love them. We want to do trade more than they can ever imagine. But the negativity, the slippery slope starting, I'll I'll even bypass GMOs. That's 25 years ago. That's passe. But the European Court of Justice opinion on gene editing, 
there's still chance to fix that, but I'm seeing no desire, no enthusiasm, no intent to try to rectify that. Their regulation of pesticides, oh my gosh, they're just knocking them out. And so it is not going to be easy. I'll tell you what we're sharing with them. I think there's this desire for addressing what they and we call the low-hanging fruit between now and December. I don't know what that is, but if it's there, we'll find it. But it absolutely has to be with a commitment that we're going to get to a more comprehensive agreement that includes ag. I think they've learned that they can't just buy a lot of good soybeans and corn and feel like they've done their job. No way, no how. This is comprehensive. And it's going to be tough because there's the order pad. Yes, I will buy XYZ. And it's also the non-tariff issues, GMOs, gene editing, antibiotics, etc., etc. It's going to be tough. The EU has begun to purchase a lot more U.S. soy, but is there an agreement on paper? No, they, they, I, I think they understandably, and I understand that, would, would like to say that their purchases of corn and soy would be part of that agreement. We, we've said thank you and thank you again, and we mean that, but we can't let market forces and a very low <laughs> and in, an inexpensive price be their way of saying we, they've kept their end of the deal. No way. But we are going to engage with them, and I'm enthused about that. I am enthused, but it is going to be tough sledding all the way. You're back home from Africa. You didn't go alone. You took industry with you. What's promising about Africa? What regions in Africa, what about their economic structure and their populist structure makes this an area that you want to visit and invest time? Yeah, so the the ag trade mission was to South Africa, specifically Johannesburg and then Cape Town. We had a about 35 businesses that wanted to go sell, but also some of them bought. And we had 11 countries from southern region of Africa come down and be part of the exchange. So it was really southern Africa. It just happened to be hosted in South Africa. My observations are that though they are the anchor of Africa, certainly the southern two-thirds of Africa, in many ways they're still a developing country. And with that comes the inherent habit, knee-jerk reaction of throwing a tariff up. But I think they understand their place on the world stage, and I think they want to solve problems. And we had some very good, respectful, diplomatic, but candid discussions about things that are going wrong. They want access to our country. We're pretty open, you know, just prove that you're safe and effective and you'll get there. I I would also say that there is great enthusiasm. Um, I haven't heard the final number, but if the number was finished as when I had to leave, we would be one shy of the all-time high in the business-to-business meetings. Now, it was going to be short-lived because Ken Isley, my director of foreign ag service, they they just shattered the all-time record of business-to-business meetings this week in South Korea. So we really are setting all kinds of records in business done in terms of projected sales, number of B2B meetings, number of folks on our meetings. So we're going to keep that up. In fact, we, we doubled from last year to this year, and next year we'll be up net two. But it's not going to be easy. I will say this, though. 
and I mean this for I mean this from the head and the heart. The fact that we finally have some leverage, folks know that we have a president that means what he says. Folks are taking notice. They can't just put up the old football forearm and say, no, you can't bring your fruit in. No, that biotech, no. They, they, got, they have to really deal with that, and it's true, and we're seeing it country after country. It's uncomfortable at times. It most certainly is uncomfortable, but I think we're in a good place now where we're trying to straighten out some trade around the world. Some of it minor, smaller, more minuscule. Some of it, like China, major but I think we're getting there. Now I'd like to peer into the Ted McKinney crystal ball, if I can. The agriculture community, the financial community, governments are fixated on a dinner that will take place in Buenos Aires between two presidents. What's on the table at that meeting? What happens if they're successful, and what happens if they're not? I'd like to think our president would call me every morning to see what I thought about world trade, but he doesn't. Uh, I, I wouldn't set expectations too high. I think it is incredibly valuable that he called President Xi in the last week. I think it's incredibly important that they are meeting in Argentina. I cannot understate that. But I would not want people to think that they will come away with that with a, a nice deal, language, tie the bow and say, all's well, we're back into the sales business. These are a series of steps. I hope that out of that comes the commitment that we're going to start talking again. But Jeff, I got to tell you, the one thing we haven't heard from them yet, we've got to hear from them. They're going to quit stealing our stuff and they're going to quit forcing technology transfer. When we hear that, I think there's a green light. Ted McKinney, you're a world traveler on your way to a million miles and we want to thank you for taking time to spend with us here on Open Mic. It's Open Mic. You have the last word. Well, I'll end like I did our last visit, and that is that I think we are seeing great success in traveling the world to countries that may or may not be those major markets we've all come to know and love. That's not to say we're vacating those. I mean, look, USMCA has got us back in the game in a good way with Mexico and Canada. You heard me say we want to get back to business with China. Japan, we're going to get there. But I mean those other countries, and using a baseball vernacular, World Series is just slightly in our rearview mirror, um, there is business to be had, and I really mean two-way business, in countries that most people would not have even thought of. I'll remind you once again that our ag trade mission to Guatemala, where Honduras and El Salvador joined them, still stands as the all-time high in business conducted. It shattered the ceiling. And we're finding that the projections are true. So if our good friends through the Central America Free Trade Agreement in Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras can help set new records, and we to them, we, sold a, we bought a lot too, then that tells me that diversifying our portfolio is exactly the right strategy and we're going to stay with it. Our thanks to USDA Undersecretary of Agriculture for Trade and Foreign Affairs, Ted McKinney, our guest this week on Open Mind. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Global sugar subsidies are increasing and a threat to 142,000 sugar industry jobs in the U.S. Learn more about the American Sugar Alliance Zero for Zero Sugar Policy at SugarAlliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Alley.